A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is one of the top instructors in the history of our game, and that's Jim McLean. Jim is from the state of Washington and won the Washington Junior Championship twice. He won the Pacific Northwest Amateur three times, the Seattle Amateur, and the Four States Amateur in Texarkana, Texas as well. Played his college golf at the University of Houston from 1969 to 1973, where he teamed with legends like Bruce Litsky, Bobby Watkins, Bill Rogers, Tom Jenkins, and our good friend John Mahaffey. He helped the Cougars win the 1970 National Championship at the Ohio Golf Club up in Columbus, Ohio. Their team finished second in 71, 72, and 73. His 41 career season round still has him tied for 10th all-time at the University of Houston. He finished fourth in the 1971 U.S. Amateur Championship. He was named All-American in 1972, graduated with his degree in economics, and Jim is one of the few players to qualify for the U.S. Junior, U.S. Amateur, U.S. Open, and the U.S. Senior Open, and some of them he did multiple times. He played in the 72 Masters as an amateur and made the cut and finished tied for 43rd. He won the Northwest Open and is a three-time winner of the Pacific Northwest Amateur. He won the Pacific Coast Amateur Championship at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. And as an instructor, he's won just about every award there is to win. He's been inducted into four Hall of Fames, including the World Golf Teachers Hall of Fame. He's worked with dozens of legends, including four that are very near and dear to my heart and have become a big part of this show. And that's Gary Player, Jane Geddes, John Mahaffey, and Hal Sutton. His instructional school has certified over 400 teachers. And like I say, I'm very honored. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Jim, thanks for coming back on the show. Well, wow. Thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate being on with you. Thank you. Jim, I want to start by going back to where it all started for you as a, as a teacher, and that's Westchester Country Club. That's a heck of a place to get your start. How'd that come about? Well, I uh, missed the tour school in 1974. I played a couple of years after Houston and uh, kind of depressed about uh, missing. And uh, Jackie Burke down in Houston helped me get up to Westchester Country Club in New York. I really hadn't spent any time in New York. So, um, yeah, they had the, we had a PGA Tour event there, uh, 45 holes of golf, a huge driving range, some really top teachers there. One was Harry Cooper, who's in the Hall of Fame and PGA Hall of Fame, won 31 times on the PGA Tour. And uh, Mary Lena Falk, who was uh, a big Harvey Panic. Uh, protege so i i really fell into a great spot jim you mentioned q school you actually had an interesting experience trying to get through q school back in 1977 at pinehurst do you mind sharing that story well I, yeah i played really good in the regionals which was held in tampa i finished second um and then i went to the finals was in pinehurst and they they had a cut after 36 holes but we had 30 spots there so Anyway, long story short, before the first round, I was picking, I was staying with the director of golf. I was kind of all set, played my practice rounds, uh, actually played really good my last practice round. Picking up dinner, 
and I got a uh, pulled over for a speeding ticket. Um, it's kind of a long story, but I I was young and made a kind of couple of stupid comments. They took me to jail, and then I said something to the super, you know, the supervisor there, and he slammed me up against the wall, and then they threw me in jail. So uh, I was in jail most of the night before the first round. Well, not exactly the perfect uh, preparation, no dinner or anything, but yeah, sit in in uh, the jail tank with a with a drunk next to me, and uh, yeah, that's what that was my. Uh, that was my uh, kind of the end of going to tour schools for me. <laughs> and Jim, like I say, John Mahaffey is a is a wonderful friend of the show. I really enjoy John a lot. Again, you guys teamed together at the University yep. of Houston. Later, you actually became his coach. Was it odd going from being a friend and a teammate to then coaching him? Well, all I did with John was help him with his uh, short pitching wedge game, but just going back to Houston, when I lived with John, I lived with him in college when he was a senior and I was a uh, sophomore. He won the NCAA championship that year. And then when he um, he missed tour school the first year and went to work at Champions, but Ben Hogan used to come down. And I, I went out and watched John play with uh, Hogan a few times, which was a major thing for me in, in my life and teaching. So Mahaffey uh, obviously went on to be a, a great player, a PGA champion, lost the U.S. Open in a, in a playoff, and, and, you know, a tremendous player. I saw him in, at Augusta this year, and he's doing – he looks great. Um, he was uh, he was a tremendous basketball player in, in high school. So we, we had some things in common that way, and uh, really special, really special. Bruce Liskey is another one of your former teammates. He had such a great golf swing. Did you ever talk mechanics with Bruce? Yeah, you know, I did, but he didn't like to talk about mechanics because he didn't really know too much. Uh, didn't think about his swing much. Probably almost never been a player like Liskey who, honest to God, never practiced. And uh, I lived with him uh, for two and a half years at college, and then we lived for a year of pro golf. And he never hit a practice ball after playing. Never, I never saw him hit balls. Uh, he would hit, a, you know, some shots before he teed off, but that was it. Never put, practiced his putting anything. And uh, won on the PGA Tour for eleven years in a row. Won the United States Senior Open. Just a great guy and uh, so gifted and such a great ball striker. It was just uh, for me. I, of course, I talked to him as much as I possibly could about what he tried to do in his swing. He had that bowed left wrist, like you see with so many great ball strikers right now. Uh, and he just said, well, that's where I want to be at impact. I've already got it at the top of the swing, which is a simple explanation that he had for uh, bowing his left wrist at the top of the swing. But that was just natural for him. So if he never practiced, never went out and hit balls before no. or after outside of warming up, did he play practice rounds? I mean, how does, how was he prepared to go play? No, he would play practice rounds at, at PGA Tour events. He, he played great at Doral. I, I was at Doral for 26 years. We had the tour event for 25, and I was with Bruce a lot of times, had dinner with him a lot of nights. He stayed with us during the Honda. But, yeah, he, he just wouldn't he just wouldn't practice. He, he was very detailed, though, in his practice rounds. He had a very detailed practice book. He was a smart guy he 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 put car put cars together from scratch he he was a great fisherman uh loved sports um 
Yeah, and he just was he just learned to have a golf swing when he was young and he just stuck with it. He didn't make any changes. He he played with the same set of irons, I remember, for eleven straight years. Did the wow. same did everything the same as much as he possibly could. That's one thing I really learned from John that I I mean from Bruce that I've tried to teach. I have taught to thousands of players, especially the better players, and that was to make every tee shot exactly the same. He hit the exact same tee shot on every hole that he ever played. Same routine, the same height in the tee, never changed anything. But so many of us are trying to tee it down, tee it up, draw it, hook it, fade it, you know, different trajectories. But he never did that. So if that's something that you took from him and, and you like to try to instill in some of your players, talk about that because when you're on a hole, a hole may demand a slice or a hook or fade, whatever it might be. Talk about the benefits of just sticking with one kind of shot shape, one kind of swing over and over again. Well, I think all, all great players have a shot shape that they rely on most of the time. And that could be a draw, like McElroy hits a draw, and uh, Victor Hovland and uh, Scheffler hit a, hit a fade, and uh, Nicholas hit a fade. Uh, and Raymond Floyd hit a draw. So there's different ways to be a great player. But I think if you've got your reliable shot shape, especially off the tee, where you just make it very systematic, where you're not, uh, you know, trying to do anything special, the driver is the one shot in golf that's the same for the rest of your life. You're hitting on a flat piece of ground anywhere in the world, and you get to tee it up. Uh, Nothing like it in in golf. So it's... uh, you know, more like a free throw in, in, in basketball. Uh, it's the same thing if you want to all the time. However, most, you know, a lot of tour players do, but a lot of amateurs don't do that. They, they don't have any kind of routine and they don't, they don't have a shot shape that they're even trying to do. Jim, when you're working with a student, is your teaching approach any different when you're working with a tour player versus either a top junior player or someone early in their playing careers, or is your approach any different based on the level of the player? Yeah, for me, it's pretty much the same because I can I kind of go through a little test with with all the players I work with as far as what part of the game do they want to work on. That'd be four broad areas: the long game, their their full swing, the short game, which encompasses a lot of different shots, bunker shots, types of different bunker shots, chipping, pitching all types of putting, and then the mental game, uh, which if you're a better player, that becomes way uh, a very important, more important, the better you get. And then the management part, which is um, managing yourself around a golf course and also managing your physical fitness, your flexibility and things like that. Everybody wants it to be their swing. I can can tell you that. And uh, then when you get to the swing, is it your wedges? Is it your short irons, your mid irons? your fairway medals, your, your driving? Uh, do you have a certain um, miss that you're trying to stop? So then it all becomes part of the diagnosis when we get into a full swing of um, what's the body doing? I always look at what is the body doing separately from what is the club doing? And each one of either one of those has a tremendous effect on the other one. So some people might do really good working on improving the body movements body motions uh and some people do a lot better thinking of the golf club and their hands um had dinner with bob toski the other night we uh we had an interesting discussion bob's 96 years old but he's still sharp as a whip and 
he was pretty much a hands and arms uh, teacher. You know, we, we talked about that and he felt like that was uh, the best way to, to teach people. And I do think for, for teaching most of the, most people that I work with that we've got to get that, that part down, uh, you know, pretty much first and foremost. But I also think that having good body movement and sequencing the body which is, a, you know, for me, the X factor, uh, a, big, a big thing that I've been involved with, the, how the body moves has a tremendous on, effect on what that golf club's doing as well. Jim, you mentioned the mental side of the game, and sometimes a player struggle isn't a technical issue. It is more on the mental side of the game, and we talk about that a lot on this show. I know a lot of players have mental coaches nowadays, but talk about some of the work that you do to help the guys that are coming to you for help with their mental approach. Yeah, that's the that's the mostly the coaching aspect uh, for me is working on, on all of the visualization techniques, breathing techniques, staying in the moment, trying to leave the past behind us, not think about what just happened in the last hole. Or sometimes people think about bad shot they hit for the whole round, um, but you know, trying trying to get yourself more into the zone, uh, the flow. Uh, the way you walk, uh, the way you, your physical appearance, how you, how you look to other people, the way you stand, posture, um, thing, what are you telling yourself, the uh, mental keys that you're using. So that, that's a really big part of being a, a successful teacher, the coaching part. I've always thought of myself more as a teacher, you know, working with people, but you absolutely have to be able to to help people with the mental part because it's such a huge part of our game. Jim, one of the things Tom Patrick and I talk a lot about, and I talk to your peers and the legends of the game about, is the difference between playing golf, playing tournament golf, and then playing tour-level golf. Do you see a big difference between those three things as well? Oh, yeah, with the, with the young players and guys that are trying, or girls trying to get onto the uh, – PGA or LPGA tour. Uh, Lexi Thompson was just in a couple weeks ago. Um, she's going to play this week. She only comes to see me now when she's not doing well, <laughs> but I worked with her for a lot of, a lot of years and um, uh, just getting, getting yourself prepared for tournament golf. It's a completely different game. There's the range game which a lot of people are tremendous at. And then there's just playing with your buddies and, and playing uh, local golf. And then going to the PGA Tour is a, is, a, is a big step up because you're playing with guys and girls that are equally as good as you. And it comes down to a lot of times how you can manage your game, how you can use your mental training, uh, and then being able to hit shots that you're, you know you can hit, but you, you have to have a lot of let go. Uh, I thought for myself playing in tour events that that's something that i was not good at not not playing up to my ability and and hesitant uh careful um we didn't have any sports psychologists back then but probably could have that would have been a good thing for me i put a lot of stress on myself i think that helped me a lot as a teacher because i know what it's like to be in the arena i know what it's like to feel pressure i know what that can do to your game and it's very easy for a teacher to say, yeah, just relax, you know, don't worry about it. But that's just not the way it is out there when you're playing. So let's take that a half step further because, as you allude to, 
one of the things that I think impacts all of us negatively is ourselves. We do a lot of negative self-talk out on the golf course. You mentioned a little while ago being able to let go of whether it was the last bad shot, the last bad hole, whatever it is. But we get down on ourselves, and the next thing you know, we're we're no good for whether it's a stretch of a couple of holes or it's maybe for the rest of the round. Talk about how you work with your students to overcome that. Well, I, you know, I do the best. Like I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of top sports psychologists. Uh, I've spent a lot of time reading uh, on, on psychology. And those bad thoughts that get in your brain have such a negative effect for most of us. Um, and, and having a, uh, an image of where you don't want to hit the ball is a, it's a very uh, tough thing to overcome. Obviously, we see the bunkers, we see the water hazards, we, we see the trees, uh, but then we've got to be able to focus on where you want to hit the golf ball. And the, the bad thoughts in your brain have to be replaced with uh, not necessarily positive thoughts, but uh, of thoughts of this is where I'm trying to hit the golf ball. And then as a coach, we're trying to do everything to build the confidence of, of the player. But when, he, when you're out there alone, you've got to have that inner confidence to, to, as I said before, to let go and not steer the ball and not hang on. But, uh, you know, play like you're playing by yourself. You know, that's what I try to tell people. If you, if you can do it, play like you're playing by yourself, which, again, I know is an easy thing to say. but. If we can do it, you, you, that's, that's when you play your best. You wrote a book titled The X-Factor Swing. Talk about what the X-Factor is and how it can help us gain both distance and accuracy off the tee. Yeah, well, the X-Factor is the differential between your shoulder turn and your hip turn or the pelvis. Uh, those are the, rotate, the two main, major rotations in the golf swing. And... You talk. You look at what a powerful turn looks like compared to a poor turn. A poor turn would be when you just lift your arms up, uh, just a pretty much an arm swing and just taking the club up with your arms. But another poor swing can be turning your hip too much, turning your hips together with your shoulders in tandem, and then not having a a differential between those two. And if we look at kind of a two to one ratio there and I, I didn't love the 90 45 which you know, people still use a lot 45 degrees of hip turn and 90 with the hips because I see most players turn the hip turn the shoulders more than that in the, in the backswing 100 degrees I've used 100 degrees of shoulder turn and 60 degrees of hip turn maybe with a 40 degree differential might be a model number but I also see say say a player like Brooks Kepka has very little hip turn a tiger had uh, not very much hip turn also they they have tremendous flexibility in the upper extremities like a lot like a lot of these great athletes do and they still can get a wider differential and then the next piece of that is what starts the downswing which would be the hips uh, the the lower body the knees first and then that widens the gap that stretches the x factor and then you've got a race to impact which uh, the shoulders are going to close down quickly because you're turning around a fixed pivot the, the spine the, and the, the pelvis has two points hitting the ground so we need a lead with the lower body starting down 
that causes lag in the golf swing and, and allows you to hit the ball a lot further and, and straight. Jim, when I've had Hal Sutton on the show, he has said a number of times to me when he was going bad, he had to kind of figure things out by digging it out of the dirt. Back then, there was no track man or video simulators, things measuring swing speed and smash factor and all that stuff. When you were working with players like Hal and when you were coming along as, as an instructor back with that generation, how did you determine what needed to get fixed? Was it was it your eyesight and the, and the ball flight that you were looking at? How did you figure out what was going wrong? Well, yeah, you use your eyes, but I was always huge with video, and I did never trusted my eyes completely. I always wanted to go in and go real slow and look at that video and make sure that I was seeing uh, all the things that I've studied by using video all of these years. Uh, so we say working with Hal, I knew that where his background was he'd worked a lot with jimmy ballard and and he was taught by floyd horrigan early on i know knew both of those guys so i knew what he his what his best swing looked like i could go on the video uh, on my uh, computer or back then on vhs and, and we we taped everybody every year so we had i had a good database to go back and look at maybe when he was playing better and i think that's what most tour players are always trying to get back to their best and we always want to be playing, even the tour players want to be playing your best every day, every week. But we know that's not true. And when you fall off a little bit, you want to know which side of the fence are you on. And most tour, most of us are always on one side of the fence, trying to get up on top of the fence, playing our very best. But um, when you fall off, when you're off to the side, you need to get good instruction or like, like Hal said, figure it out yourself. But it's easy to go down rabbit holes in golf. And especially now, I think, when there's so much social media and so many things on television, so much information, and it's contradictory a lot of times, and it's easy to start working on the wrong things. It's tough to come back when, when you spend, say, six months working on something that doesn't work for you and, and then trying to get back to your best. A few days ago, you mentioned that Rory has the flattest left arm at the top of his backswing among all but one of the top-ranked players. We know he's been struggling a bit lately, and I was really pulling for him yesterday at the Memorial, but he struggled in the final round, shot 75, ended up tied for seventh. Do you think, is that flat left arm what may be causing some of his swing issues? No, I don't think so. Um, I just think, uh, like Greg Norman, for example, they're not the best of buddies right now, of course, but they both completely released the golf club and were both the best drivers of their generation super long and and just smoked the driver as we saw rory this past week and then he's missing greens with wedges uh, or hitting it a long ways away pulling in the bunkers um putting the ball way up in the air uh with the with the wedge which you would think the flatter flatter left arm would actually be helpful for flighting the ball down and getting a better trajectory on his irons. Um, it's, but it's not that he's just swinging hard at his, those short irons because he made some small swings and still missed the greens. Um, he's got a full relief uh, golf swing, which means you know that there's a lot of let go in that swing. It's the only way you're really going to hit it a long ways. But it's a lot of those really great short iron players hold on to it more like Jordan Spieth or Zach Johnson or Paul Azinger. They hold off those wedges, Trevino, and they could, 
you know, really flight those wedges down low. And, and that's how you can really dial in your, your wedge game to, uh, you know, hit the ball and they're consistently close to the hole. But, you know, that's definitely, uh, I think the major hole in, in his game, like, like Jack Nicholas, like Greg Norman, that'd be the same thing. Um, where they had a little more difficulty, you know, at a tour level, I'm not saying like the normal player, but at a tour level uh, with the wedges uh, because of uh, the way they swing the golf club, which is super advantageous for driving and long irons and everything else until you get down into uh, the wedge game. During your playing career, you worked with Jackie Burke, and Jackie's still going strong, 100 years old. Do you still consult with him from time to time? Yeah, I still I still keep in contact with him. Uh, I'm going to stop in after the U.S. Open. So when I'm coming back to Miami, I'm going to stop in Houston and see him. Um, yeah, Jackie's still doing okay. Um, amazing. He's an amazing man. He's a legend. Uh, everybody that's ever played on the PGA Tour knows Jackie Burke. He's a friend of everybody. He was the guy that would tell you exactly what he thought. He never minced words. Uh, I didn't care if you were Jack Nicklaus or Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods, he would, or Hal Sutton, he would tell you, you know, exactly what he thought. I think these great players really appreciated the straight talk from Jackie Burke. You recently commented on something that was recently posted on social media. Golf Digest via chat GPT, which is an artificial intelligence chatbot, posted a ranking of the top 10 greatest golfers of all time. And they listed the players in this order. Jack Nicklaus, Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, Bobby Jones, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Sam Snead, Tom Watson, Walter Hagen, Phil Mickelson. You like the list, but you said it was debatable between one and two. And for me, it isn't. I think they got it right. What are your thoughts? Well, I like 1A and 1, you know, one and 1A, one you know, kind of a, I like the tie ball game. Uh, of course, you can't argue with Jack's record with, with 18 majors and, and 19 runners-ups in, in majors. So he was there all the time. I mean, Jack's just absolutely incredible. He's a, a hero of mine, for, you know, 10 years older than me. So he's he's always been a hero of mine. But watching uh, Tiger play and watching what he did uh, to the competition, he was, he was the same, you know, just – terminator out there and it's so much fun to watch maybe uh maybe you have to rank jack number one but it's really close i think the competition was stiffer probably although jack had to compete against really great players um it's a tough one you know i think you get a lot of argument from the younger people that it should be tiger because they that's what they didn't really see jack but I did see Jack. So, yeah, yeah. I, I like uh, I, I like one and one a. Maybe maybe Jack by a whisker. Jim, as we look ahead a little bit further to later this year at the Ryder Cup, and people need to remember that event is not a PGA Tour event; it's run by the PGA of America. But that being the case, do you think Brooks Kepka belongs on the U.S. team? Well, runner up in the Masters and won the the PGA and I think he's going to be playing he's going to be tough at at the U.S. Open too um obviously he doesn't get any points anywhere else 
I, when I worked with Keegan Bradley, Keegan won the PGA, though, and they didn't pick him. So it's not unprecedented. They wouldn't pick the PGA champion. I've heard people say that, but they didn't uh, pick. It was his rookie year for Keegan when I was working with him. And he also won the Byron Nelson that year, but they, you know, they left him off the team. So uh, it's very, it's a very political situation, you know, and it's a very uh, touchy, touchy subject right now. But I think it's supposed to be the best players from America against the best players from Europe. Um, so, you know, there's no doubt to me that Brooks Koepka is, the, you know, one of the top three players in, in America. Jim, I got to get a playing lesson from you. And you've talked recently about three deadly moves in our swing, <laughs> one being too much width in our backswing. What's too much width? Well, that, we have flexibility and mobility in our shoulder joint. So the arms can, can extend beyond uh, a full stretch out, you know. So you can start from a good extension position at address and start the club away. And then I'm talking about hyperextending the left arm in the backswing. So you create this and people are trying to get width. So I've seen this happen a lot of times where they get a, you know, a rigid left arm and a real long left arm in their backswing. And now they've got to replace that width on the downswing uh, from from setup positions. So uh, I think you want width, extended left arm, but it can be overextended. And when you overextend, when you when you uh, stretch out your left side going through too much, uh, that's I, I call them death moves. Those are things that you can't recover from. You're going to hit the ball bad for the rest of your life until you fix it. Jim, one of my sponsors on this show is Squares. I know you're a Squares ambassador. Tell mm -hmm. our listeners how Squares shoes can actually help us play better. Well, the the platform, the bottom of the shoe is wider. That all your toes can fit in the shoe, so there's no pinching in on your feet. And I know that's helped quite a few of the golfers that I've that I know that have uh, purchased the Squares shoes. Um, so it it's, gives you some stability to the ground. Uh, which we're all talking about ground reaction force right now in the game and being able to push down into the ground on your downswing. So you're, you're looking for a, that stability to push into the ground uh, with the whole foot down into the, um, to the ball of the foot uh, starting down. And, and uh, you know, that allows you to do it. I mean, I, I've been really happy with my square shoes. I've recommended it to a lot of people. And uh, they've, everybody's been liking it. And I really love the new models, by the way, that they have this year. Yeah, same. Me too. Before I let you go, Jim, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you on your website or it's on social media. Well, I think this McLean Golf social media, or you can go to jimmcclain.com and go to my website. And that shows you where my different golf schools are and pretty much what we're doing. And with a lot of with our junior golf, too. Well, Jim, it's been a privilege getting to spend some time with you again today. I hope we get that privilege again sometime a little bit later on in the year. Update us on all the great things that you're doing. Give us some more advice, maybe another couple of uh, tips or two. But uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come back and be a part of the show. Well, you do a fantastic job at this. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Thank thanks, you. Jim. That is the great Jim McLean, one of the best instructors our game has ever known. Again, you can follow him on social media at McLean Golf, online at jimmcclain.com, and make sure you spell his last name right, M-C-L-E-A-N. 
And be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel, at McLean Golf as well. And when you subscribe and go on there, you're just going to see dozens and dozens of great videos and great instruction from Jim and his other instructors that they're there at his golf schools. You're going to fix every part of your game by going on, subscribing, and watching these videos. Outstanding. I'm scrolling through them right now. Just tremendous stuff that he's got out there for all of us that's going to help us improve, like I say, every aspect of a golf game. So be sure to subscribe to that. Jim is a nice guy, just a fantastic gentleman. So privileged to have him as part of the show tonight, like I say, for a second time. And hopefully we get that privilege a little bit later on this summer. But in between now and then, folks, make sure you're following him on social media. Make sure you're checking out his website and subscribe to that YouTube channel. And I'll do my very best to get him back on a little bit later on this summer. Folks, thanks for tuning in to this special segment of Next on the Tee. I really appreciate you making us a part of your regular golf content. Stay up to date with what we're doing and what our guest schedule looks like by going online to nextonthetee.net. Until next time, folks, hit them straight, my friends. This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hey, sandwich lovers, today is your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open, Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacy and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner. 